Right now we're in Colossians chapter 3, if you'd open your Bibles there or navigate on your device. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 17, we're going to read into chapter 4, verse 1, Lord willing. The topic we find there, when each of you put on the new man in Christ, your home life will be blessed by mutual submission. The title of our message, Your Submission, Should You Decide to Accept It. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do want to accept submission to you and mutual submission to one another as the way to have successful, functional families. Speak to us from this text. And Lord, if we have needs that aren't addressed directly by the words of this text or the teaching, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do that, that he would, uh, Lord, be here in a powerful way to talk to each heart Uh, Lord, to discern between the soul and the spirit and to encourage and strengthen each believer. And if there's someone here that's not a believer, Lord, we pray that they would be drawn to you by bands of love. In Jesus' name we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Cosplay is short for costume play. It's a performance art in which participants called cosplayers wear self-made costumes and fashion accessories to represent a specific character. If you're familiar with the Comic-Con conventions, you've seen cosplayers in their natural environment. Then there's LARPing. It stands for Live Action Role Playing. The participants in a LARP physically portray characters in a fictional setting, improvising their character speech and movements. I've missed the last few Hanford Christmas parades. In fact, I've missed it for the last decade, I think. But anyway... uh, Do they still have the Star Trek Club? Are they still in the parade? Did anybody see it this year? Were they in the parade? They're all dressed up in their Star Trek gear. Did they have the shuttlecraft? One year they had a a life-size model of the shuttlecraft. They they did a pretty good job with it. Anybody here part of the Star Trek group? You want to admit it right now? Oh, man. In last week's study, we were told to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We are to put on Christ as if we are putting on our costume. Cosplay and LARPing fall far short of our 24-7 choices to walk with Jesus appropriately dressed as the new man. Paul's going to show us what that looks like when we are in our homes, in our families, playing our live action roles there. Reading this passage and its counterpart in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the overruling trait that emerges is submission. We would call it mutual submission, first to the Lord and then to one another. I'll organize my comments around two points. You see what submission looks like with those in your family. And number two, you see what submission looks like with those outside your family. Let's take a look at the family first, beginning in verse 17. James Hibbert is the TV editor for The Hollywood Reporter. Commenting on television families, he said this, we've moved from what's most ideal to what's most entertaining. During the golden age of television, the focus was on these families that everyone would like to have. With the advent of reality television, we introduced the dysfunctional family in the 1990s. He probably chose the 90s because one of television's great dysfunctional families, The Simpsons, uh, debuted in December of 1989, right as the 90s began. We had a few dysfunctional families before them, notably The Bunkers in 1970s, All in the Family. And don't forget the 1950s Honeymooners. 
in which Ralph Cramden was always lovingly threatening to physically abuse his wife. I don't think that really would fly anymore, right? You remember him. To the moon, Alice! Okay. We're so familiar with the dysfunctional family that it's become the new normal. We need to quit thinking that way and look at the biblical normal. And so Paul gives us an episode, as it were, in the lives of the functional family. This is what your family could be if everyone in it were playing their biblical role submitted to Jesus and to one another. Now, I know what you husbands are thinking. You've read ahead already, and you see that the text says wives should submit, and it doesn't say anything about husbands submitting. Well, that's not really accurate, though. The overall context demands mutual submission, and the parallel passage in the book of Ephesians is prefaced by submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so husbands are to submit to their wives as wives submit to their husbands, and we'll we'll get the nuances of that in a minute. One language scholar said the following, the commands given to husbands call for a response on their part that will make it easy for wives to submit. That is, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Furthermore, they are to love their wives as their own bodies, even as they would love themselves. Let me say once again that we're looking at the functional family, the ideal Christian home. We're seeing what is possible when we have on the new man and assume our, ro- our roles with submission to Jesus and to one another. So let's take a look at it beginning in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. This obviously speaks to your mutual submission to Jesus, but it can also serve as a sort of self-exam. Your words and your deeds in the home, can you say that they are done in the name of the Lord Jesus? Do you speak and do you act giving thanks to God the Father through him? It doesn't matter what your spouse said and did or your children. This verse is for each of us individually to measure ourselves. And so we should take time, I don't know about daily, but every once in a while to read this verse in particular. Uh, uh, We have a tendency to skip over and get right into the roles. But before then, we have to have a tender heart before the Lord and say, Lord, how am I doing? A lot of times we feel like we're doing better than we really are. I don't know if you're that kind of a person or not, but I've noticed this in counseling a lot over the years. I'm sure if I was being counseled, people would notice it with me, Uh, but people seem to have um, an inflated view of their own spirituality. And so sometimes it's nice to just sit down alone with a, a verse like this and say, Lord, let me go over the words and deeds today and see how much of them Uh, honored you and how much of them uh, dishonored you, and and, uh, it's an opportunity for us to grow. Verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The word submit would be the same word used to describe relationships in the military. It means to be in order under. People join the military, and once enlisted, they have put themselves under its order of rankings. They learn and perform their roles and their responsibilities. If I may say so, it's an awesome thing to see the military in action when everyone is in order and under their proper command. Uh, I I love military ceremony. I've seen a lot of uh, funeral details, for example, uh, when you have military honors, and it's always the most moving part of any funeral. And everybody has their role to play, and everybody plays it just perfectly. 
Break ranks, however, and the enemy will flood in to destroy. And so we need to be under proper command. Ladies, when you marry, you are enlisting in marriage and voluntarily putting yourself under the authority of your own husband. Did you know that? If not, it doesn't matter because it's true anyway. If you enlist in the military and then you get to boot camp and it's tough and you say, hey, this isn't what I signed on for. I think I'll just take the next bus home. Oh, oh no, that's not going to happen. Now you have to do 500 push-ups or whatever it is. And so you uh, oftentimes are enlisting in something that you don't have a full knowledge of. This is why when I do pre-marriage counseling, my first session is to discourage the couple from getting married. Half joking, only half. But I do try and explain to women, especially, I said, now you, you don't need to submit to this gentleman at all other than as a Christian in, in a mutual fellowship. But you understand that when you get married, your role is going to change, that he's going to be in leadership over you. And of course, people are always in love, and so they hear me speaking like Charlie Brown's parents. (laughs) And then sometime later, some of them come in and they say, he wants me to submit to him. Right. Do you remember when I told you that in premarital? No, you never said one word about that. Anyway, it goes on like that. This is a reason why you should never marry a non-believer. Marriage can be hard enough without the added burden of being unequally yoked. We do not recommend missionary dating, which is you thinking that you're going to get the individual saved and then everything's going to be fine. Uh, Find out if your potential date is a believer and then find out what kind of believer they really are. In my... I don't know, 35 years of ministry, not once have I ever received a phone call from a person saying, so-and-so goes to your church or says they go to your church and I'm thinking about dating him or her. What can you tell me about their walk with the Lord? I think I would have a heart attack if that happened. (laughs) But you know what? That's a call that everyone should be making. Because it's one thing. You can't just say, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Now let's date. <laughs> you, you really need to know something about the person. You know, just every, first of all, everybody that says they're a Christian isn't. And all Christians aren't on the same wavelength, you might say. So be careful about those things. I'm, I'm looking out for you. It says this is fitting in the Lord. That means it's been God's plan from the beginning. It was God's plan both before and after Adam and Eve sinned. Adam was created first, then Eve. He was to be her head. She was to be his helper. After they sinned, their roles remained the same. It's the way the home was designed by God. Whenever the word submit is used, I think people tend to hear words like inferior. A woman is not inferior to the man. The man is not superior to the woman. It's a matter of assuming proper roles in the home. A good wife, a submissive wife may have more competence than her husband in a lot of areas. They would recognize that and set up the management of the home in various ways that show that. I shouldn't have to tell you that you are never required by God to submit to sinful behavior, and submission doesn't mean it's okay to be physically abused. Get that straight. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the Lord's will. 
It does mean that you are called upon to help your Christian husband. It does mean you are to look beyond him and his failings to your Lord and do what pleases Jesus. Bottom line, Christian home was designed by God to have a husband as its head and a wife as his helper. When things aren't sinful but still not going smoothly, ladies, you're to look past your earthly head to the Lord and please him. What pleases him is to have a disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. And that's a good definition of submission, really. A disposition to follow and an inclination to yield. Then verse 19, guys, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Uh, You don't see the word submit here, but it's more than implied. Jesus is commanding husbands to love their wives. It's an order. That means you can do it. Uh, People come in sometimes and they say, I just don't love her anymore. You can because Jesus said, love your wife. He didn't say say, if you feel like it or as long as love will. uh, There was a wedding one time. I didn't do it. I was was, uh, attending it. Part of their vows was, as long as love will last. Well, that could be the next 10 minutes. No, seriously. I mean, what do you mean, as long as love will last? And so Jesus says, love your wife. And so if we're in counseling, and I say you're to love your wife, and you say you can't do that, we're done. There's, there's nothing more I can say. Uh, you, you're you're going to have to get alone with God and call him a liar, I guess, because he tells you to do something, and you say you can't do it. He's going to win that argument, by the way. And so, love your wife in submission to the Lord. And the love commanded here is to be continuous at all times in all situations. Here are some words that would describe this kind of love. Sacrificial, giving, holy, redemptive, nourishing, cherishing, forgiving, cleansing, and sanctifying. You recognize that as the love Jesus has for you. Even though you don't deserve it, it was a choice. Jesus determined to come and, as God in human flesh and live among us and then die on the cross and rise from the dead out of his love for you when you didn't love him at all. It was a choice. Love like that has nothing to do with whether or not your wife is submitting to you. It'd be nice if she would, but you need to look past her to the Lord and love her this way for him. As I said, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He looked past us to his father. He did it as a man, not as God. He did it by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, and so can we, because we've put him on. This is maybe the most important point I will make this morning. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think, well, Jesus was God, and so how can he be my example? It was easy for Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully human, But when he was incarnate in a human body on the earth, he set aside all the prerogatives of his deity and he acted like a man, only doing what his father told him to do, filled with the spirit, guided by the spirit, directed by the spirit. Obviously, he did it perfectly and no one really can other than him, but Jesus is our example and he submitted in every way. Then it says here, do not be bitter towards your wife. I would suggest that bitterness results from thinking your wife is failing in her role. First, maybe she is. We've already addressed that. Your response is not to be conditioned on her failings. If if my obeying God and walking with him successfully depends on other people doing their part, 
well, then I don't really need God. If, if I had a perfectly submissive wife and my job situation was great and there was no problems, uh, how am I getting the enablement of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, what am I learning? How am I growing? It doesn't make any sense. So maybe your wife isn't submissive. That doesn't matter. And second, and more commonly, maybe your leadership is the underlying problem. One author said this. He said, the first thing I want to say about the meaning of a wife's biblical submission, namely, it is a happy response to a husband's biblical leadership, or as Ephesians 5.23 calls it, headship. And the point of starting here is that when men are doing what God calls men to do in a relationship, and they're doing it rightly and biblically, most women love it and are happy to respond to it supportively. And that has been my experience over the years. Most sincere Christian women want to respond to godly leadership. And so poor leadership might be the problem. In any context, poor leadership results in conflict. And so always look to yourself first. Just when you think you might have some of this figured out, kids come along, and for the next several decades, you've got them to deal with. And so verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. The children in this situation, obviously younger children, they're not legal adults or married kids. The word obey can be translated to hearken at the door. It would be used to describe a knock at your door that causes you to stop what you're doing and go open it. And so children are to obey immediately in all things. That means everything. Their friends, their music, their interests, everything. Um, This is a wild concept today in today's society. But you you should be able to, uh, and, and you're commanded to, control those things in the lives of your children. I had a lady from another church one time come in. She was a grandmother who had to watch her grandson every day. He was getting in a lot of trouble at school, he behavioral problem, um, just, just, you know, he's, I think he was eight years old at the time, just out of control. They had to call the cops one time to get him to go to school, the whole thing. And she wanted me to counsel with him. And I'll tell you right now, maybe you think I'm, you know, weird, but I, I don't counsel with children. Uh, I, I just, it scares me. They're scary little creatures. But anyway, I said, I won't counsel with him, but bring him in. I want to ask him three questions. So he came in, really nice young man. I said, what's your favorite video game? He said, Grand Theft Auto. So what's your favorite band? He said, Eminem. At the time, it was a few years ago. I said, what's your favorite movie? And I honestly forget what he said, but it was some terrible R-rated movie. So I said, okay, we're done. I'm done counseling you. And then I talked to the grandma. I said, hey, have you ever played Grand Theft Auto with your grandson? No. Have you ever listened to his Eminem music? No. Have you ever watched this movie? No. I said, there are his behavior problems are coming from the liberal parenting that he's receiving, all of those things are terrible. No adults should be doing those things. And and so here's a kid, he's eight years old, of course he's out of control. And so, you know, parent, you can control these things. Uh, While we're on the topic, this always comes up, kids get to a certain age where they don't want to go to church anymore. And then parents, they get knocked off their, uh, you know, uh, foundation and they think, well, I don't want my kid to hate church. So maybe it's better to just ignore God every Sunday and everything will work out. And then just like that, they go through their teen years and you're praying that they don't get uh, off base when they go off to college because you realize that they don't have any foundation in Christ because you wouldn't bring them to church. It's not your kid's decision if they go to church. Did Did you ever have a time when your kid gets up and says, I don't feel like going to school today? Are you sick? No, I just don't want to go to school. I, I, I don't like it. Well, okay, 
Fine, just stay home. Call me if you need me. Now, that doesn't happen. You don't think, well, they're going to hate school if I make them go to school. Uh, So bring your kids to church. They need to be exposed to the Bible. And they need to be challenged to get saved. And so be in control of this stuff. They need to obey you. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. Doesn't mean it's pleasant for them. Uh, Just ask your kids sometime, do you want life to be fair? Uh, No one really wants life to be fair because you're merciful and gracious towards your children. By obeying parents, they are submitting to the Lord. Youth is not an excuse to disobey. The Holy Spirit doesn't make distinctions when it comes to age. The Bible is full of examples of very young people serving the Lord. Daniel did it, taken captive by the Babylonians even as a teenager. He determined in his heart to please the Lord. He stood against an entire empire, he and his three friends. Samuel did it. He heard the Lord's voice at a very young age and served the Lord his entire life. Now, this all presupposes you're evangelizing your kids. You need to introduce them to the Lord from the earliest possible age. Salvation is job one for you as a Christian parent. Your kid that's so wonderful is a hell-doomed sinner who needs Christ, who needs to be born again, and share with them and urge them to receive Christ. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers here can be translated parents, So this certainly applies to both parents, but in the context of the father being the head of the wife, it falls on the husband especially to be certain the children in the home are not being provoked. In the typical dysfunctional family television program, the dad works all day, and then he comes home and he wants to disengage, kick his feet up, grab a beer, watch shows about dysfunctional families. And, uh, you know, guys, if you had that kind of a traditional situation where your wife is at home raising the kids and you're at work, when you get home, that's when your work actually starts. Everything you did up to then is just to support your home life so that you can come home and help your wife raise godly children. And so uh, don't provoke them. That means to stimulate them to anger or frustration. It would include but not be limited to things like making unreasonable demands, not listening to your children, or being inconsistent dealing with them. It would certainly include all of the ridiculous threats you overhear in line at the grocery store. I absolutely love it when kids are throwing tantrums at the store. It's, it's such a marvelous experience. I remember it. Actually, my wife, Pam, she remembers it more. You know, there, there was a time, I forget the ages of our kids, but there was a time Pam could not go shopping. It was just every time she went shopping, it was a disaster, leaving her cart filled with groceries while she took the kids home. And uh, so now I relish the opportunity to watch out. And parents never want to take the time. They don't see it as the most important thing. They see checking out as the most important thing. And so they say the most outrageous things to their kids. If you don't stop right now, you will never watch television another day in your life. I actually heard that. I thought, well, you've lost your argument already. You know that he knows that's not true. He's, he's seven years old and he knows that's not true. And so all you've done is fuel the fire. And that's exactly what happened. He kept tossing stuff into the cart from the point of sale. It was great. I loved it. I never get involved in that, by the way. I don't want to be beat up. I just, you know, I just, I don't want to make any suggestions. I'm no Dr. Phil when it comes to that, you know, but... Uh, Anyway, that's the kind of thing that we need to pay attention to. And really, the idea is that you have to pay a lot of attention 
uh, to your kids and, and you need to have a lot of interruptions in your life and deal with what's going on in their life. Paul was concerned children would become discouraged. That means to lose heart. Don't do things that would discourage your kids. You know what will really discourage kids? Divorce. Going forward from wherever you are in life now, hate divorce the way God does. This isn't a teaching to throw uh, condemnation on anyone. I don't know everyone's situation. Everyone's situation is different. All I'm saying is that Paul said, don't discourage your children. And one of the things that discourages children more than anything else is when their parents get divorced. Uh, There are rare, rare, rare situations where divorce is a better option for children. Uh, Most of the children involved in divorce don't understand it, think it's their fault, uh, and they're they're never going to be quite the same. And so uh, love your husband, love your wife, that's a command. Don't think about getting a divorce. Think about fixing your marriage, especially if you're Christians. Love that person with the love of Christ and wait upon the Lord. And if nothing else, do it for the sake of your children because uh, you don't want to discourage them in that way. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he hasn't done. He submitted to earthly parents. Can you imagine that? The God-man went down from Jerusalem with Joseph and Mary and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. God in human flesh subjected himself to two average, ordinary, inexperienced parents. As an adult, he always submitted to his heavenly father. He looked past the people and the problems to his father and lived to please him. So that's the functional family. Truth is, every family is a little or a lot dysfunctional because we still choose to keep on the old man rather than the new man. And that's where it can get confusing. One or both of you or the kids are walking in the flesh. Your response ought to be to continue in your role. But how? And for how long? Well, the how is in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the how long is that there's no other way, at least no other biblical way. If you have problems in your home, it's from a lack of submission to Jesus and to each other. And there's no other fix except to repent and submit. What if you're a Christian woman married to a non-believing husband? Do you get a pass? Well, 1 Peter 3, 1, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Proper godly submission is always God's counsel. It's going to look different in different homes, but it remains the only spiritual solution. Depending on the exact situation you're in and personalities, uh, the counsel you receive might be different from home to home, but it's all going to be based on submission. Start where we started this section with verse 17. Examine yourself and then submit to the Lord and to one another. Let's take a quick look at what submission looks like outside your family. In the context of this letter, Paul never actually leaves the house. When he discusses servants and masters, he was talking about household slaves. About half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. You were either born of slave parents or sold yourself into slavery to pay debts, or you were captured during a military conquest and enslaved. For our purposes today, we'll apply these principles to the workplace. Uh, Verse 22, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. If involuntary slaves were to obey, how much more should we as free individuals, our employers, for 
uh, you know, at work. I mean, think of it. You know, the Lord is saying, hey, you're a slave. You don't want to be a slave. You find yourself in slavery. Obey your master. You and I, we're free people. We can work wherever we want, do whatever we want, but uh, you think we have an easier time submitting, not a harder time. Masters, according to the flesh, would include owners and their foremen. For us, it would be our boss or our bosses. Does the Bible condone slavery? No, but one author put it like this. He said, commanding Christians to free their slaves would not have been legal, nor would it have worked. By state law, some of those slaves would still not have been free. Christians were commanded to love others as Christ loved us. That meant that people could no longer be treated as slaves, but Christians would then become the servants of all as Christ was. And so, yes, we're against slavery. Just because Paul didn't speak out against slavery doesn't mean he was for it. Uh, The laws of that society wouldn't allow it. And that's where he found himself. But what does happen is when the heart is transformed, then the institutions of society are transformed. And so one by one, Christian masters and slaves were being transformed to mutually submit to the Lord and play their proper roles, and it was elevating the entire society. And so that's why our uh, focus is on the gospel, because when hearts are changed and lives are changed and the family is changed, then society will change. What follows is a kind of checklist. Think of this as a job review. Not with eye service means not just when others are looking, but all the time. Don't keep one eye on the clock. As men pleasers means you're not scheming to fool your employer into thinking you're a harder worker than you really are. Just work hard. Insincerity of heart speaks to motives for working hard. It's the right thing to do. Fearing God is a reminder that your work speaks to others of your relationship with the Lord. People see what kind of Lord he is by what kind of worker you are. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Again, you're to look past men. You're working for Jesus and thus you do everything heartily. It, it means not just working hard, but you do it with the right heart. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. This is really something precious to hear if you were a slave. Slaves had no earthly inheritance to look forward to, but in heaven... God was storing up for them a great inheritance. They would have a mansion of their own, for example, as well as rewards for their faithful service on the earth. Imagine what news this would be, what great news this would be to a slave. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. There is no partiality. This is a very interesting and informative verse. Paul was saying that God will show no partiality to slaves in the afterlife at the reward seat. In other words, he won't be inclined to reward a slave more because he or she had a terrible life on earth. He will reward everyone on the basis of their own faithfulness in their situation. It hammers home the point that I am to look past my circumstances and the people in them to the Lord and serve him. When I stand before the Lord, I can't do what Adam did in the garden. Remember, God came into the garden after they had sinned and he said, Adam, what's going on? And Adam immediately said, the woman you gave me She's to blame. Uh, Blame shifting began and it's been going on ever since. When you and I stand before the Lord, there's not going to be anybody to blame. I'm going to realize that I could have obeyed the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're talking about today. 
Verse uh, one of chapter four, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So bosses have a boss in heaven, and they too must always be looking to the Lord to do what is just and fair. They don't always, but uh, they should, and God will sort things out in the end. So at home or at work, it comes down to this. In your house, can you say with real confidence that you are submitted to the Lord and serving in your role? On your job, can you say with real confidence that you are submitted to the Lord and serving in your role? And for that matter, in the church, can you say with real confidence you are submitted to the Lord and serving in your role? The American family is dysfunctional. And for the most part, we celebrate its breakdown as if it were a comedy. Put on your costume, live play your role, and let's show the world the Lord who loves them so much that he submitted to the cross. Let's pray.